Good morning, this is David G, and you're listening to the Morning Voice Podcast. On this podcast, we talk about life experiences, lessons learned, pieces of advice to help you learn and grow. If applied, you can transform your life in ways you could never imagine. I know because I'm speaking from personal experience. This is why the Morning Voice Podcast was created, to help you find answers to questions you didn't know were troubling you, to be better, do better, and ultimately feel better. Again, good morning, and you're listening to the Morning Voice Podcast. So on episode one, we talked about um, having a vision, a sense of direction, and how motivation plays, self-awareness, we touched on a little bit, and um, stepping outside of your comfort zone, just having the ability to look stupid and understanding that everyone's been there, and it's necessary for you to get past those feelings in order to progress to the next level. And today we have Christopher Jennings again because we have such a short time frame before he has to go back to his home station. So again, here's uh, Christopher Jennings. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, David, I appreciate it. I'm absolutely honored and humbled to be asked to return back here kind of do another episode and speak a little bit more on some of our experiences that we've shared. I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Absolutely. I, for the first episode, I really enjoyed the company and the conversations. Um, I've always enjoyed our conversations over the past five weeks. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, today I, I kind of want to speak on leadership and adaptability, uh, seeing that we are two days away from actually graduating leadership school. Um, there's a lot that I've personally learned through the course and grown from that I kind of want to share my experiences with the, the audience listening today. And I uh, yeah. also want to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, for sure. Leadership's one of the things that I'm hands down one of the most passionate over. You know, being here at leadership school has been a phenomenal experience for me absolutely loved every bit of it meeting the people here some of the lessons that we have kind of getting the blue perspective um air force for some of y'all out there but the blue perspective on kind of the rights wrongs do's don'ts stuff like that but my background uh, i know in the previous episode i kind of did a little bit of an introduction i had mentioned i was in a master's program i'm currently studying military studies with a concentration specifically in strategic leadership Okay. So that's one of the things that I, I take home. I, I do do a lot of reading in leadership books, articles, and just, you know, some different peer review journals and stuff like that. So I, I'd be more than happy to talk on those subjects and at least share my, my knowledge and experience on the outside of educational, uh, professional experience that I have would be stuff like uh, supervisor roles that I've been in before on my civilian job and uh, the job previously. That, or the one that I held previously before that. So, yeah, I've, I've got a little bit of experience. I've got some stories I can share and stuff like that just to expand on what I've done. And that, that'll include some of the adaptability and things like that, too. Yeah. I know that um, when I first joined the Air Force, it was very hard for me to adapt. Mm -hmm. um, it was back in 2014. I was tired of working fast food and... Having such yeah. an unpredictable schedule, <laughs> I really needed to get out of that hometown. And thankfully, I had the opportunity to, to enlist in the Air Force. 
I mean, with adaptability, I mean, that's basically one of the things that the Air Force military in general kind of preaches to you. If you can't adapt to your surroundings, you know, you're not going to be successful is kind of yeah. the way they put it. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to adapt. Right? Yeah. I was this rambunctious, um, not so know-it-all, but not very disciplined individual. I was 20 at the time and I was late for work a couple of times because I stayed up playing video games. I was so focused on relationships and women and getting my heart broken left and right. Trying to just- Growing up, man. Yeah. Just trying um, to grow up. I hated being told what to do. Like, I think everyone mm -hmm. to a point does not like being told what to do, but <laughs> I could yeah. not stand it. Hated it. And there was one point where I flicked off some of my leadership. Mm, and that was smart. kind of like the last straw for everyone. And this was within like a six month time frame. I was late to work three or four times to work. And then the flicking off the, the leadership. And I almost got kicked out within six months of joining. Mm. Um, so I had some growing to do. So I started reading some books on leadership and personal development and just kind of rewiring my brain, essentially, to become a different person or a different version of myself that I could be proud of because I had dug such a big hole for myself that it took me a couple of years to get out of, actually. Yeah. And I'm... I'm grateful for the person I am today and the lessons that I've learned throughout. And the closest thing to a leadership perspective that I gained over the last eight years, I'm a medic, so um, I don't get out much. But there was one opportunity where I got to do what's called combat medic mm. field training. So oh, yeah. I basically learned how to be an EMS in the field. So you get this bag, first aid kit, it's got everything that you could need to prevent death before you call the EMS, the nine line, the PJs or whatever to take them to an actual hospital where they can get care. And I had a group of eight people one was an officer, one was in an NCO, non-commissioned officer, and a couple of us were airmen. And they put you through this drill where you have patients on the ground getting shot at, um, wounded warriors who, and you basically have three minutes to stop the bleeding and stop whatever trauma it is so that uh, you can get them to safety. And during the live fire, I'm expecting the officer in this E6 to command our eight-man team, and no one was saying anything while we're getting shot at. And we're using paintball, so it's not like anything traumatic. But I immediately put on the leadership hat. I was calling commands and directing people what to do. And by the end of it, we were the fastest person fastest team to complete the course and I shocked everyone. 
I even myself because I didn't know I had that in me. Wow. And I'm an E4. So I'm in no actual position to lead people as an airman. Yet I saved five patients' lives as well as my team from getting shot at and completing the mission. Wow. Well, let me just say, you know, majority of what you you went through and came out of coming from uh, just being a little bit of a troubled person into that kind of role. I mean, you did all that on your own volition, which is something else. But uh, one thing I'm going to touch on that you said, uh, I strongly believe that no matter where you're at in authority or level of authority, everyone has the capability of being a leader. You know, uh, something we'll touch on a little later if you want is my opinions on the difference between leadership and management. And leadership is going to be characteristics and traits that help move move people, basically influence them, create uh, morale, create create a culture and an environment. So for me, when I hear people say, you know, I wasn't in a position to be a leader, or I'm not I'm not capable of doing that because, you know, to to bring it to the military, oh, I have this rank versus another rank. Or even in my civilian job, oh, I'm only a technician. I'm not a manager. Everyone has the capability of being a leader. Everybody has the capability to put that hat on. You can lead your people from any levels. You can lead up and you can lead down. Everyone's capable of that. And it sounds like you, you're you aware of that. You understood that. Um, I, I like that story. It, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, uh, another story that someone had talked about with uh, Navy SEALs and how that's one of the things that they do is that they understand that concept that anyone can be a leader. And uh, I think Jocko Willink is one of the people that actually references those kind of things, um, which we can touch on later. Cause he's one of, he's one of the people that's inspired me in some of the leadership styles that I have, but that, that, yeah, that, that's phenomenal, man. But, um, and from that, definitely the message I would drive home is that anyone can be a leader. Anyone doesn't matter how small you can be an E1 coming into your branch of service. You can be entry level to the workforce and you can be a leader. It, it's all about what you choose to do and not do. You know, my, my first leadership experience slightly different. Um, I started off in high school. I went to a military high school, as I mentioned in a previous podcast. So when I was there, I went through JROTC on top of it already being a military school. And I graduated as the executive officer of Six Squadron, which in this particular case was just uh, the day students because we had boarding and day school. So uh, I was the executive officer for my senior year. The year before that, I was the first first shirt for our squadron, which uh, had a little bit different roles and responsibilities for you Air Force guys out there that aren't aware. It, it was similar, but the way my school constructed it, it was uh, a heavy leadership role, as it is now in the Air Force as well. But um, so from there, you know, to be honest, when I, I was first in those roles, I didn't really understand the meaning of leadership. Uh, I hadn't taken any real courses on or anything like that until I got into my junior year where they sent me to a summer school that was uh, it was about two months long. And it's actually called leadership school. And I did it two years in a row. And that helped develop some of those skills, some of those 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 ideas and just the things that I needed to do and stuff like that. But I was at a point where I didn't really retain a lot of that. 
uh, it was hard for me to grasp some of those concepts of leadership. I thought leadership was more of an authoritarianism, um, authoritarianism, uh, sorry, I can't speak today, but uh, it was more of that. It was more of like a dictatorship. It was more of, hey, I'm a leader and what I'm saying is what's going to go. This is what's going to happen. And black and white kind of. Black and white. And hey, I'm in this position of authority. You are not. So I make the decisions. You know, I think a lot of that just came with the immaturity of being in high school and then being put in a position where I had about 60 kids underneath me. And so unfortunately, I took that with me to college because I started working at my retail job and I'll leave them out of this, but uh, at least the namesake out of it. But I started working in a retail position and I was very quickly promoted to a supervisor. Um, I like to believe that I have a, a decent level of work ethic that that helps support that. So I had a uh, awesome, awesome general manager and he wanted me on the fast track. So uh, I want to say it was about my sophomore year, about mid sophomore, junior year of college, you know, my undergrad that he was like, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be a seasonal supervisor. So in this particular case, I was supervisor on like the front end, the registers and money and kind of doing um, guest services type thing. And I worked really well. But at the same time, because I was a seasonal supervisor or temporary, I was only there for about four months in that position. I didn't directly work with people, at least my employees, or uh, I hate to say my, because it takes a different form of ownership, but the people that were underneath me. So I didn't really do anything as far as interactions with them that were heavy beyond, hey, I need you at this post or I need you at that post. And it's so high paced that it was difficult to uh, really, really showcase a leadership style in there more than a management style. So anyways, from that, they had said my performance was exceptional enough that they wanted to hire me full time as a supervisor. And I got put out into the car side. So I was doing tires and tire install sales, everything like that. So I got made a supervisor out there and I really hit a wall with that. It was it was good for me because it was learning experience. But at the time, I was probably the biggest SOB supervisor out there because I was young. I, I was hot headed. I was like just trying to do what I was doing in high school. But unfortunately, I had arrogance and an ego that was so inflated that nobody could tell me nothing at all. I didn't want your opinion. I didn't care. And that I, I didn't matter if it was people above me or not. Um, I really had to reel that in. And the reason I bring that up is because it was positive failure for me. And I say positive failure because I learned a lot and I grew from it. So my first, uh, I would say about six months that I was out there, uh, majority of the people that were in that shop were twice my age. I mean, they had been working either in that, that industry or that tire center for 20 years, 22 years. I mean, I, they started there when I was practically born at the time. So I came in and was like, no, this is how we're doing it. This is the way we're running. And I was just so heavy and strong and I was failing to meet goals. Uh, they did not want to perform for me. People were resenting me coming into work. And because of my level of arrogance, I didn't really see that. It took a while to see that. So and do you think that was more managerial mindset? It, it was managerial, but it was not understanding the true definition of leadership. 
So uh, in this particular case, yeah, I came in as a manager and I was like, hey, rulebook says this, this is how we're doing it. I don't want any feedback from you because it's unnecessary. Now, again, that's not to knock management because there is times where you need to actually uh, have uh, transformational type leadership where you kind of switch over. You know, once uh, once you get to a certain point where leadership can kind of um, kind of coast itself, you can kind of switch over to the managerial side. But you need to establish a level of leadership first. So that's a, you'll see it in a lot of successful corporations what they'll do. Um, just recently, I had taken a course on leadership that kind of kind of defined it in a way that makes sense. But your leadership is your innovation, and your management is your sustainability. So uh, what had happened after those six months-ish was that I just, we were missing targets, we were missing goals. I mean, it was bad. Um, I had my general managers and others pull me in the office and they're like, hey, you know, we put you in this position because we see a lot in you, we think you're capable. You need to figure out how to hit these numbers. And it was at that point that I remember the day that I had my major conversation with my general manager that I need to stop failing. And instead of allowing my ego to continue to uh, basically hold the <laughs> reins on my leadership style out there, I went out to the shop and I called a shop meeting and I opened the floor for them to not attack me, but give me that criticism. The feedback. The feedback. And they told me what I was doing wrong, right and wrong. And this is where I started to do a little bit of a transition and almost too heavy. Because what had happened was I transitioned to becoming that supervisor that was just a yes man. Um, and I say yes man in the sense, and I may not be using the terminology right, but I, I became just too lean. I was just given away. They wanted time off. I approved it. They wanted this. I approved it. If the shop needed this, I fought for the budget to get it. So I didn't have any of the old side. I didn't have any management. So it was just straight. So you went from one side of the spectrum all the way to the to other. To the other, which helped. It, it did help because now I, I have a little bit more of the respect from the guys. But again, missing objectives, missing targets and goals and stuff like that because I'm not reeling in the reins appropriately. Right. You kind of want to be in the middle of that spectrum. So when I had another conversation with my general manager, he had talked about overall employee attitudes and happiness was definitely an improvement. You know, people were happy with me. They were satisfied. Uh, I had customers um, that were writing positive reviews, everything like that. Fortunately, I was missing goals. So this is another opportunity where he was one of uh, one of my first really good mentors that, you know, he brought it home that, you know, there's leadership stuff out there, journals, articles, stuff like that, that you should read. And I started looking into it a little bit. And from there, I kind of figured out how to blend those together, you know, how to, how to be able to flip that switch, which leads me into the topic of adaptability. It, it became being able to adapt to each of the employees that I had, uh, understanding how to talk to them, communicate with them, understanding that every one of them is different. Um, it's very similar to a story that I have. So when I was TDY at Eglin Air Force Base, I had met a chief and he had told me a story. He had been a uh, basically like a control tower um, on the radios and stuff. And he had airmen underneath him. And he had talked about how one airman had messed something up. 
and she was a little newer and she was a little bit more sensitive and stuff like that. So he really had to adapt and kind of talk to her and cater to it and give her the opportunity to work with her, give her what she needed in that certain situation. On the flip side, he had a male or a, sex didn't particularly matter in this case, but he had a male airman that messed up in the same scenario. He was at a different position in his career and everything like that. So this male airman, he was a little bit more assertive with, a little bit more aggressive with. And that initially caused the male airman to have a little like, a little hatred, a little like, what what the hell was that kind of thing? And that's when this chief went into the explanation to the airman, but in general, in the presentation he had given us about the reasons that you need the adaption is because people respond and they need different things to be able to be productive and efficient. In this case, if he had done that same thing to her, he wouldn't have got the responses. She probably would have shut down and mission wouldn't have been completed that day. Same thing with the male airman. If he had just you know, everything's peaches and creams, don't worry about it. That airman wouldn't have grown from that. He wouldn't have wanted to develop better. He wouldn't have wanted to not disappoint the chief on the next route. So I take that back and looking back at some of my experiences, that's why it started to click when I started to learn that initial concept of adaption, even though I hadn't known, really fully studied into it yet that's what i had used and we went on to become one of the number one in the southeast region for tire shops for a couple months running yeah yeah it was it was pretty cool man the corporate came down took our photos stuff like that and everything because we went from a store that um just mind you this particular company doesn't make money off their tires it's just a kind of incentive and service to get them inside so they'll spend more money inside but we went from a tire center that in 14 years had only had, I want to say, uh, three months scattered throughout that they did not have a loss. And from the time that I was there, the remaining time that I was there, once I got that clicking, we were always either flush or we actually had an income. So that was really impressive. And it was that was, that was a cool story for me. But leadership doesn't stop, man. From there, enlisting in the Air Force is when stuff really started to take off for me because I accepted that role. Uh, I was on um, I was on a journey for personal development, and inside of that journey, it, it really wanted I really wanted to study this and do this kind of stuff because I've always had a passion for leadership and not just positions of authority. But um, like I mentioned in the previous episode that you had me on, it. I want to do for others. So if I can accomplish goals and tasks that are set by my leadership or my management, whatever uh, the positions of authority, if I can accomplish for them, but I can have an entire shop of people go home happy to their families and look forward to coming into work the next day, that to me is one of the most satisfying things ever. So that's why I put so much emphasis in the passion that I have for leadership and some of the things that I do like that. And that's why I want to continue developing that. But yeah, adaptability is one of the biggest things that you can really hone and focus on understanding your audience, understanding what you need to do to get your stuff done. No, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think leadership is instilled in everyone, honestly. Um, 
you might not be put in positions of leadership every single day, um, especially if you're not used to impacting people per se. So for me, um, when I went through that field combat training as a medic, I not only shocked my team, but I shocked myself. And after that, it was like a week long course. I went back to work, did my due diligence, my daily tasks, whatever. A couple months go by and uh, I've been studying really hard for the test to get promoted so I can be a supervisor. Um, and that's why we did this leadership course. But because I didn't pass, I initially wasn't supposed to be in this class. My leadership came to me and said, hey, we want you to go to leadership class. So we're gonna see if we can get you a seat because we want you to gain that experience. We see that leadership quality in you and we wanna allow you the opportunity to grow. <clears throat> Now, outside of that field combat training, I could not see what they saw in me. I was like, y'all are crazy, right? I'm 28, I've been in the military for nine years. There's absolutely no way you're telling me that I'm gonna make a great leader, because I can't see it. I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Couple days go by, hey, we got you a seat, you're going, uh, two weeks from now, we know work is going to be hectic while you're gone, but we absolutely want you to go and don't come to work. We know you're a workaholic, but we want you to take the most out of this opportunity. <clears throat> so I made a promise. I said, you know, if they can see it in me, I'm going to do my best to be able to see it in myself. So I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone like we talked last last podcast and um, see if I can <clears throat> pull that potential out of me right so day one of class you were there <clears throat> they asked for a class leader mm -hmm. now the introvert that I am was like I'm going to use this opportunity to see if I can put myself in that leadership position. Shit, your hand went up faster than anybody <laughs> else's in the room. <laughs> Little did I know he was going to have the three of us that volunteered stand up in the room and give a speech, which is another oh, thing yeah. I don't do. I do remember talking that. in front of crowds. Why we think we would make a great leader or class leader. And... I remember it vividly because I'm scarred for life from it. <laughs> but I remember staring at the center of the room, looking at the floor, mumbling. I was soft-spoken, gave my story, and that was it. I mean, obviously, I didn't get picked. <laughs> okay, but just, just for context and reference for everybody that's listening out there, um, yeah, he didn't get picked for flight commander, but uh, ended up being number one to represent our flight amongst the class to go up at the end of graduation. But, uh, you know, it's okay. <laughs> so 
I mean, from day one to the end of the five weeks for the leadership class, I honestly did not think that 15 out of 16, me being the last person, was going to vote me as number one in the class. But I think it was authenticity, mm -hmm. being myself, allowing other people to see my true colors, mm -hmm. to the adaptability that you spoke about earlier, being able to identify each person differently in their own way. Right, because everyone's unique. We all have our own fingerprint, <clears throat> things that make us stand out from everyone else. And you have to be able to adapt who you are and how you approach every person. Mm -hmm. You can't, like you said, talk to you the way that I would talk to her and the other guy across the room because you all come from different backgrounds, different stories, and how you handle confrontation. So <clears throat> by the end of it, the class, I can see what my leadership saw in me when they sent me. Mm -hmm. And that was five weeks. It, it doesn't take much to be able to look deep down inside of you and believe that you are a leader or a good person mm -hmm. or someone who can make an impact on someone's lives. I would not have been ranked number one had I not impacted every single person in the class. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone who's listening, you have potential, you have things that make you who you are that if you don't allow yourself to be that person, it's going to be harder for you to touch the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. So you can't be afraid to be your true self around people because you're afraid that they're not going to like you or that you might be a little harsh sometimes. Like that's life, right? See, now I think that's a really good point because just being an individual, being your own person is really important because the, the we look at leadership and sometimes in the ways that you study it, if you take it out of context, it almost seems like we're trying to create a robot. And I say that because, you know, you hear the same things about a leader's this, leader's that. A leader is such a multitude of different values and traits that that's why we have different leaders there's no set in stone in writing, do this X, Y, and Z, and you're going to be a phenomenal leader. Everybody's different. So that, that just showcases with your story that, yeah, on the first day of class, you couldn't impromptu. Um, the person who could impromptu got it. Now, the person that impromptu, by all means, awesome guy. I mean, just really cool guy. And he did extremely well in his position. He's talking about himself, by the way. No, no. I didn't impromptu that day. Uh, oh, I wasn't no, chosen as one of the three. No, I wasn't uh, chosen as one of the three. Um, I volunteered for some of the other positions, but yeah, not the flight commander. So what? Uh, 
even though he wasn't the person that could impromptu, he's the person that was elected out of our flight as the number one unanimously by 15 other students. So leadership isn't defined by a set table of do this and you're a leader. Um, there's three major things that I like to, to look at that can kind of be inclusive into all of that. And one of uh, like the words that I would use is context because context falls into the adaptability that you need as a leader. It also falls into virtually every context. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's inclusive of different things. You're not going to have the same leader standing up as POTUS that you're going to have in this classroom. You're not going to have the same concept for the people out there that may be in the healthcare field. A hospital manager is not going to be the same kind of leader that you need on the floor helping run the nurses around. Um, and again, sorry if I sound ignorant to some of you guys' industries, but you're not going to have the same people. So I would say one of the big words is context. One of the other big words, um, I'm actually going to uh, kind of play off a little or plagiarize a little bit would be um, ownership. And I say ownership and I was going to say extreme ownership because I get that from Jocko Willink in his book with Leif Babin. It's a phenomenal book. That's another book. I uh, recommended one on the first episode. I'll recommend another one on this one. Extreme ownership. Ownership just encompasses so much into everything. And it's not necessarily just constantly saying mine, 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 like it's mine. It's just acknowledging up and down. It's accepting your faults and not putting those faults on anybody else. And that kind of plays into taking responsibility. Yeah, it takes responsibility, which in turn are going to do things like earn you the trust and respect from your subordinates, but not just your subordinates. And guys, I hate using the word subordinates. I like to say either followers or um, the leaders that are your peers, essentially your peers, but your peers and also upwards. It's going to earn the respect of the people upwards. You know, they might not be happy to hear that you said, yeah, you know, we we failed to meet, or I failed to teach them correctly so they can meet this goal. And they might not be happy about it at first, but they're going to respect the fact that you didn't walk in to a board meeting and say, hey, guys, it's not my fault. My team sucks. Because nobody's going to look at you good then. You're going to lose respect to your people. You're going to lose the respect of that boardroom you just walked into. And the last one I would say is resiliency. The Air Force is big on resiliency, which leads into adaptability again. But resiliency, just being able to have that, like when you stepped into the Air Force and stuff like that, adaptability would be you overcoming that kind of anti-authority, don't want to listen, that kind of thing. But then moving past all the crap that you had lined up once you made that choice of self-awareness to, hey, you know, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to live my life and it's going to be right and I'm not going to continue doing wrong. You then had to have the resiliency to fight through some of that paperwork, some of those things that you had gotten. And resiliency can be inclusive of many, many different things. It can be adversary. Ad, ad, oh, I, I cannot talk today. Adversity. Adversity yeah. that we face. Uh, it, it can be a number of different things. So just those would be the three things that for me, as a leader, I'm going to try to be the most aware of. It's just the context in which I'm being established in, and, you know, the ownership over everything and then the resiliency to just continue moving on and just adapting, just consistent adapting. 
I, I think one of the biggest things that I learned was that there's no fine print on what a leadership is. And I mean, you touched on it. <clears throat> so anyone in a position or work environment that may feel toxic in a way, you have the ability, no matter what position you are in, to make an impact. And if there's one thing that I want you to walk away from this episode is that you can make a difference. It doesn't matter if you're 18, 19, 28, 35, 50. Be yourself, adapt to your environment and the people that you work with, and set an example by taking responsibility. Even if, so one of the things that I like to do when I'm at work, and it's, it took me a little while to adapt this way of thinking, is if I'm in charge of three nurses that I work with and a tech. So there's five of us in the clinic and something doesn't get done for the day. And leadership comes to me and says, hey, um, why wasn't this done? I didn't get around to it. I apologize. Uh, clinic got a little hectic today. I will have it done first thing tomorrow morning. Even though it's not my responsibility to do the task that didn't get done, I'm going to take the bullet for my team and either one, address it privately once leadership leaves, mm -hmm. depending on the type of person I'm talking to, like we talked about earlier, or I go ahead and take initiative and just do it myself. Yeah, I would even say I didn't adapt to the workflow of the clinic over saying that the work the, the clinic got hectic because you want to just consistently keep that. I don't want to say blame, but the ownership on yourself. So no, uh, definitely, definitely with you though. Just keep that ownership to yourself. You know. Yeah. So and from the five weeks that I've grown through the leadership course is a clear sign that if you are willing to look stupid in front of people and just allow yourself that opportunity to grow and to reach more potential inside of yourself, you're gonna make some sort of impact in a way that you can't imagine right this second. Yeah. Yeah, you, it's, I, I talked before, it might've been in that last episode on, uh, just the impact that people have on you. Uh, one thing that you'll always hear people say too, you have an impact on others. You know, maybe not, not everyone to certain extents, but you're going to have an impact. There are people in your lives that you're going to come across. And in particular, in this case, it's you, I mean, came across you, you're one of the heavy influencers in my life. You're definitely a big part of the growth that I have, you know, spending the five weeks, here in the course and stuff like that. I mean, every single person in this class impacted me. And that's not to say the other people in, in the other flights in our class didn't impact me as well. You know, I may have had passing conversations with them, but to bring it back to what I was originally saying is that people see you. 
you know, um, those people that I only had small conversations with or even just passed. They still presented themselves to me walking through the hallway, whatever the case is. So that's another thing you'll hear some leadership say, uh, some positions of authority say, is that even if we don't speak on a daily basis, the way you present yourself speaks volumes. You know, you have your verbal and then you have your nonverbal cues and people pick up on those. So remember that, you know, when you're walking through the hallway, if you're you're just down, mean mugging or whatever the case is, people pick up on that kind of stuff. You know, they, they see that and it's an influence on somebody. You know, versus if you walk through the hallway, give your greetings, give whatever you give and then keep going throughout the day. If you're doing that almost every single day and presenting yourself like that, that's a form of leadership in itself. That's going to people are going to see that they're going to know that he's always in a decent mood. He's always got something going on. So they're, they're going to feel more apt to feel you as a leader. You are a reflection right there. So that reflection is going to enable them to kind of maybe make their own decisions for the day. And that just goes for the outer circle. The inner circle that, like I mentioned with you, is just, you know, we are on that personal level. We have a good form of communication. We've shared our goals with each other. We've shared our standards with each other. And we've set that expectation and stuff like that. But we've also been able to grow and adapt and change each other as well. So, I mean, just always remember that you're going to be a reflection of... And you're going to always project something to somebody out there. hundred percent. Appreciate it. Of course, man. All right. So we spoke about leadership and adaptability. I kind of want to go into sacrifice. On the first episode, we talked about having a sense of direction and stepping outside of your comfort zone, there comes a point during your personal development, your growth path, if you will, where you get to a point and you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. There's a, a quote, I don't know who it's by, but it's one of my top fives. It's, you can have anything you want in life but you can't have everything. And I agree to an extent, mainly because if you add too much onto your plate, it's like a Thanksgiving dinner. You Mm -hmm. wanna have it all, you're gonna go back for seconds and eventually you're gonna get full. But that first plate, if you put too much food on it, some of it's gonna fall off. Yeah, yeah. Either, so. <laughs> either fall off or you do like me where you got about five, five, six pounds of food and then you only get through like four pounds right. of it. It yeah. gets heavy and you can't finish it. And <laughs> I can kind of attest to that because when I first started my growth journey is I wanted to gained 40 pounds of muscle i wanted to get my associate's degree because i've been putting Mm -hmm. it off for so long i wanted to be in a relationship i also wanted to promote it at work Uh, i wanted to buy a house and have like fifty thousand dollars in my savings account but i first had to pay off my thirty thousand dollars of gambling debt that i accrued in my younger years Mm. so 
I mean, obviously, you can't do all of that at the same time, right? You got to start no, somewhere. No, absolutely <laughs> not, man. Absolutely not. Listen, I'll tell you, uh, ambition, great. It's like one of the best things you can have. But it can also be one evil son of a bitch because it creeps <laughs> up on you. So that's one of the things I personally struggle with is overambition. And again, not necessarily that it's a bad thing, but... Uh, the previous episode you had me on, I kind of talked about a lot of things that I'm trying to take on, a lot of things I'm trying to do. And one of the things that I personally struggle with is every time I see something I want to do or hear about something or just get that idea, I'm, like, I'm going to do it. However, I'm not giving myself ample time to finish some of the things that I either started or, you know, just I'm working on. And what ends up happening is burnout, man. Um, I, I hit those points where I have so many things going on. And we had a good conversation about this a couple weeks ago where I talked about how, you know, you put so much on that plate. The next thing you know, something's got to give. But what happens is if you don't appropriately give that item or that, that thing, everything gives. And then you got to kind of, I don't want to say start from scratch, but you get in this stagnate or stagnant area where you're just, you don't know what direction to go because you've taken way too many things on. And again, that's something that I struggle with is I find something, I want to do it. I want to, I want to get good at it. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people that as soon as I get something, I want to be good at it. I don't want to just, you know, bare minimum it. So for uh, for me, some of the things I talked about, trying to teach myself German, trying to roll BJJ, I'm finishing up private pilot, um, masters, uh, you name it. I was training for special operations at one point on top of all of it, trying to put packets together, trying to make sure that I balanced myself at work, trying to balance a relationship that was toxic and unhealthy for me. So there were so many things that I was taking on at once that... I would keep hitting these points where everything would just stop. And it's once I kind of was starting to teach myself sacrifice and in the term sacrifice, I don't want to imply that I give something up because I hate quitting. Quitting is one of the worst things ever. But what I do is I learn or at least I try to figure out what needs to become a maintenance hobby or a maintenance item and then finish everything else. So for me in particular, I had mentioned last time that I'm currently working on the master's program. That's my main focus. Now the priority underneath that is finishing my pilot's license because I'm, I'm just shy of that by a couple flight hours and uh, essentially a check ride. So all I needed to accomplish is my check ride at this point. What I've done is kind of transitioned myself into maintenance as far as the special operations training goes. So at one point, what I was doing was uh, waking up in the morning. Actually, I was on mid shift, which for anybody listening out there, I worked the graveyard shift. For me, it was perfect, at least for what I was trying to accomplish at the time. But I would go to the gym around 4 p.m. or so. And I'd get done at the gym, I'd say around six, uh, shower up, eat dinner, and then try to do some kind of either general studying or just something until work around 10. I'd get off at about eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. I'd immediately be either at the track or the pool, 
And I would do that uh, up until about 10, 1030 or so, and then immediately put myself to bed, stuff like that. And if you kind of hear that schedule, it's difficult to fit a whole, whole lot in there. So trying to do everything I was trying to do was becoming increasingly difficult. So really it comes down to sacrifice. It comes down to what are we going to create as the maintenance and what are we going to create as the priorities? So for me, I hit a point um, actually recently a couple months ago where um, getting close to uh, age in pilot training, like I need to accomplish it soon. So I still have about five years to accomplish that goal before I'd hit a cutoff, but I need to accomplish that and I need to accomplish my master's. The way to a pilot right now is going to be make that package look phenomenal. So what I'm doing is solely focusing on that master's and getting my flight hours and just trying to project myself as well as possible and in interviews and things like that with different units. Now, I haven't totally given up on the special operations training. What I'm doing now is I just do maintenance. So instead of devoting four to five hours to athletic activities, whether it be swimming, running, or calisthenics, the weightlifting, what I've done now is I'm on a normal gym routine. I spend about an hour to an hour and a half. I try to be as efficient as I can in the gym. I'm one of those guys that I prefer to go late, late at night because it allows me the ability to get to the equipment, get to what I need to. The phone gets turned off as soon as I get there. So it was really increasing efficiency in it, but also uh, diminishing the amount of time that I was spending there because it is a goal. It is something that I want and I don't want to be so far to tune that I can't get back into it. I've also supplemented it a little bit because uh, like I said, I wanted to pick up uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So now that I'm doing jiu-jitsu, I go about three, three nights a week. It's about an hour each lesson or so. Do a little bit of rolling, stuff like that. Try to learn some new techniques. So that kind of helps supplement a little bit as far to, as far as uh, cardiovascular activities and stuff like that. But again, that main focus is just driving home on the master's degree. So now that I'm kind of providing a little bit of time for that, on top of that, I also transitioned work. I, I took that leap of faith and jumped out of my comfort zone to apply for a position that is actually a promotion, but I work less. We all know that's the ultimate goal in life is work less hours, get more money. Oh, absolutely. So now I'm gonna be uh, now I'm gonna be working a four-day work week. That now allows me three days on the weekends that are my days. And uh, again, you as long as you stay in that place where you understand that those days aren't sit at home and do nothing days. Maybe one of them for a half day or a mini day, as we talked about previously, one of the concepts that I use, maybe one mini day on that weekend is for shutting down, uh, listening to some music, maybe watching a movie or something like that with the family. Relax and recovery. Relax and recovery, because you have to have that. Um, if not, you're just gonna hit that burnout regardless of what you're sacrificing, not sacrificing. So sacrifice is huge. It, it, it It's almost like instead of sacrifice, I'd rather just say prioritize. Prioritize and maintain. And like I said, for me, just hitting that maintenance man just um knowing when to back off knowing when i desperately want to pick something new up but knowing that i can or can't fit it in my schedule and if it's something that if i'm at a desperate state where i want to do this it needs to get done deciding what can i drop off or what can i move to a maintenance so instead of prioritizing it it's going to become maintenance if it's unacceptable for any of the things that i'm doing to become a maintenance uh, maintenance object or a maintenance item 
then we're going to have to wait. And that doesn't mean to me, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just means that it's not going to happen right now, which for me is also with a sacrifice is just acceptance that things take time. And I know for the next year I'm locked into my program. I'm completing my program to the best of my ability to try to maintain a, a 4.0 GPA because I want to graduate with honors. So I didn't do as an undergrad because I screwed around too much. So understanding that for the next year, I'm not, you know, I can't, I can't run the 930 mile, mile and a half right now. You know, uh, I'm not going to be able to swim the same stuff like that. But as long as I can maintain it to some degree so that once I do accomplish this task after some time, I can transition back. So now that this goal is gone, I've maintained the other one enough to step it up on the priority level. So I, I, that's a, that's a big one for sacrifice for me. But I mean, I, from your stories, I've heard you talk about sacrifice quite a few times. Some of the things you've had to do. Yeah. Uh, that's actually the first time I've um, thought about as a maintenance concept. So <clears throat> for me, I think it's situations and circumstances that you're in. When I was at work, it was eight to nine hours. I would go in maybe 30 minutes to an hour early to read or study. And then having class and not having to worry about other obligations, it's allowed me to have an hour, hour and a half at the gym. Mm -hmm. Because my one of my goals is to be 200 pounds of pure muscle yep you have to eat for that <laughs> so <clears throat> but when i go back to work i know that i'm gonna have to start taking a class i'm gonna have to do volunteers to lead large events um as well as study for promotion so i mean <clears throat> it, it's going to be a lot and i'm not gonna have that hour and a half mm -hmm. to train in the mornings and i do think that you can get a good training session in in 20 30 minutes and five years ago that if you're efficient if you're efficient hands down that's how i actually started my fitness journey i put a, a pause on it for two years because i got lazy um but in 2015 2016 there wasn't a single week where i missed two days in a row Mm -hmm. I woke up at four o'clock every single day. I trained for 20 hard minutes every day. Mm -hmm. And I was in the best shape of my life. I was also eating really, really well. But it was a progressional thing. It wasn't like overnight success, right? It's a two-year mm -hmm. investment. <clears throat> I was 7% body fat. I gained 20 pounds of muscle. I mean... My confidence level was through the roof then before mm -hmm. I became a couch oh, yeah. couch potato. Yep. Uh, yeah, I know where you're coming from on that one. <laughs> but um, <coughs> so one of the, the stories I have on sacrifice is um, getting promoted. So in the Air Force, you have to take this test to get promoted. And there's two tests, 100 questions each. And there's two different books that you have to study. One's for your job and one's... Um, initial Air Force concepts. First couple of years, I slacked off. I was like, man, I'm not even going to stay in the military, so why do I need to study, right? 
I missed the passing score by like 10, 15 points. Oof. So had I studied, I would have made it four years ago. Oh, yeah. Sounds like it. And I just took it for the sixth time. And last year, I missed it by two. And this year, I missed it by one. So I was on a deployment last year for about five months. And midway through that deployment, I decided I was going to study. So every single day for a minimum of one hour. Now, I could have studied two or three hours in a day mm -hmm. if I was feeling motivated. But there, I could not go to bed without doing one hour. Mm -hmm. What happened was, is when I got back from deployment, everyone wanted to hang out because I was back. Mm -hmm. And people were leaving, and they wanted to do outings. There's the story, yep. The girlfriends wants me to hang out and all that stuff. <clears throat> so you have to decide, one, what's important. Mm -hmm. What is your highest priority at this current moment of your life? Now, it, I had to say no. Like, I can't hang out. I haven't studied yet. And I know if I go out, we're going to drink. I'm not going to get anything accomplished. I'm going to come home. I'm definitely not going to want to study because I'm tired mm. from hanging out, being an introvert, trying to socialize all the time. That drains my battery. Yeah. Yep. So I pawned off my social obligations with friends to study for nine months. And to miss it by one point, yes, it hurts. But that failure doesn't hit as hard because I put everything I had into it. Mm -hmm. Had I gone out and socialized and drank and hung out with my friends and like did what my girlfriend wanted to do at the time, I definitely would have beat myself up. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been put in the leadership class. I wouldn't have been awarded number one. I wouldn't have grown the, at the rate that I have. And I mean, we've what done something every single weekend since we've been here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a fun TDY for me. I would say that. So it's, it's sacrifice is more of a temporary thing. It's not permanent. It's like getting rid of mm -hmm. distractions, right? So if you're going to, if you're in college and you're trying to get your degree, there is a time and a place to go and hang out with your friends, right? You just set aside a specific time and day or just make sure you get it knocked out in the first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. So that way you don't have to worry about it later. Um, and just being able to maintain, like you said, you don't want to completely stop doing something and then have to start over from scratch. Yep. Like you can, you can read a book for 10 minutes mm -hmm. and get something out of it. I don't, I read 10 pages a day. It might take me 30 minutes. It might take me 20 minutes, depending on what I'm reading. But I allow myself 20 to 30 minutes per day to read 10 pages of a book. Yeah. I go to the gym for 30 minutes, maximum 45. But if, I accidentally sleep in a little bit, I still go mm -hmm. and I'll do the 20 minutes. It's just identifying your priorities, but still giving attention 
to other things that are important. And you're not going to get exceptional at it right off the bat. And I want people to understand that you want to build the discipline first of doing something. And in order to do that, it's eliminating distractions and being able to sacrifice other things that aren't as important. And if your friends give you crap for it, which my friends did, like, come hang out. You can you can miss one day of studying. It's yeah. cool. Like, it's hard to say no, right? It's, it is, but you, you have to have those every so often. I, I don't want anybody to get wrong. That's what I talked about a few months ago when I, I was talking about taking that opportunity with that block. You, you have to have some R&R, some, some relaxation time, some self-healing, self stuff like that. You absolutely have to. When, when I've been on these orders, uh, like you mentioned, every weekend we've been going out for the five weeks we've been here. And there are nights that I've gone out, had an absolute blast. Two, three nights later, everybody wants to go out again. I kind of get quiet because I've got some other priorities i got to take care of. But those obligations on myself, like, no, listen, I'll go out if I can get to this point of where I'm at. If I feel comfortable enough that if uh, I need some recovery after those days, um, those activities, that I can sleep in another hour or two, recoup myself and be right back at it. So uh, definitely, um, I'd say there's there's that trap, too, because uh, I know certain I'm not like everyone. Um, there are people like me that some of you guys might have this too, but I, I've talked to you, David, about this, that if I don't have something to do, <laughs> I got to find something to do. So, and I was, I was not always like that. Uh, there was a time where I could be complacent playing video games, watching TV, something like that for hours on end. If I need be, if I need to kill some time, but now uh, through just, that constant discipline, constant reinforcement of trying to improve, trying to work on the things I'm trying to work on, that stuff's gone down on the priority list. Sitting there for hours, sitting there for an hour on my phone watching YouTube or social medias or any of that kind of stuff, that stuff's way down on the priority list because there's things that I need to maintain and do. So for me, uh, if any of you guys get caught up in that kind of thing, you kind of understand what I'm talking about. You get to that point where you're just like, don't bang your head on the wall. Those are the times because you're going to sit there and keep banging. Once you start banging the head on the wall, I don't know what it is, but you just keep banging it because you feel stuck. But if you step back and you just present yourself with that self-awareness, that, that cognitive awareness of what's going on around you, you have stuff that you can go and accomplish. You have stuff that you can go and do. Just you got to get to it. So, but again, make sure that you do give yourself ample time to socialize. You know, don't, don't be closed out. I mean, if that's what it takes to some degree of what you're trying to do, yes. But I mean, my personal opinion, you, you got to have those days. Um, I'm on these orders. That's why I'm a little bit more lenient with myself. As soon as I get back home, I've told you already, uh, my day, it's my work day, come home, keep working on stuff, go to bed, same thing. Now the weekends, I'll probably take that, that block, that, that one day or half day, and I'll find someone to go do something, some kind of recreational activity that just 
kind of releases all of that tension and stuff like that. It's one of the things that I use for burning out. And there was one other thing I want to talk to you about as far as burning out for me is power to you for being able to like sit there for like an hour or hour and a half and study. Um, I lose focus very quickly. So I was like laughing when you brought up the whole distractions thing. I get distracted easy, very easy. That's why I create the situation that I'm in. We talked about in the last episode, create your situation, you know, put yourself in an environment to do the activity you're trying to accomplish. Put yourself there. It's one of the biggest first steps you got. But as far as distractions, that's why I don't study uh, at home for the most part. I will find a library. I will find something to go study at or someplace to go study at because anything will distract me. Uh, it's time to feed the rabbits. It's time to, you know, go walk the dog. I mean, it's, now, I, all these are priorities that you have to take care of, right, right, right. but you kind of milk it a little bit. And then the next <laughs> thing you know, instead of going right back to studying and doing something else, it leads into something. So what I try to do is I try to only focus so long on a given task. So if I'm doing homework every 45 minutes, I'm taking a break. And that's very similar to the air force. A lot of the schooling and stuff that we do in the air force, uh, and if you guys in the Air Force listening will, will know what I'm talking about. Anybody outside, they actually promote that every 45 minutes. Take a 15-minute breather. Yeah. Just distract yourself. 15 minutes, but make it a disciplined point to get back on task. Don't let it run off. That's how I'm able to incorporate two, three hours worth of studying. I can't just I, – I got like, you got to get up and get me moving. I, I can't just sit there. Well, I think your brain stops – remembering things after 50 minutes to an hour uh, that makes like sense. your brain can't process any more information so that break is actually necessary mm-hmm. to kind of reset yeah oh for sure man for sure but uh it's funny you brought up video games because i mean i think it was about a year and a half ago um, I would sit down after work and on the weekends and play video games for about 12 mm-hmm. hours straight. Yep. 12 hours, sometimes 16 because I used to stream on Twitch and there it got to a point where I was like, what am I doing with my life? First of all. Yeah. Second, I was never that extreme. But like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm eating crap food. I feel like dog shit. Yeah. And I'm like just not fit. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not where I want to be in life. And I would not have been able to do the studying or the fitness or mm-hmm. the eating habits that I've grown over the last year or been in this position that I am today with the leadership class. And by sacrifice, I literally unplugged it from my wall mm-hmm. and put it in the attic. Mm-hmm. Forgot about it. Yep. And never looked back. Yep. Mine strictly. I took all the games off my Xbox. I use it like a Roku now type thing, like just stream. That's all I do, man. I, I've met people in my life. I have somebody close to me. I'm not going to say who, but there is somebody close to me in my life uh, and love him to death. Absolutely love him to death. Uh, but he, video games. I mean, gets up an hour early from work to play video games, goes to work, comes home, video games, though they're asleep and they complain and they complain about different parts of their body hurting. They come, they're, they're overweight. You know, there's different circumstances surrounding it. 
and I've tried to have the heart to heart talk to them. Um, I do understand, you know, they've had setbacks in life that have contributed to ailments on their body, but we have physical therapy. We have gyms. We have, you don't even need a gym. Go outside, go for, start off slow. For the people that aren't, uh, you know, that aren't fit. Some of the people that might be listening might be in a position where, yeah, you're not going to just go run a mile on your first day. I understand that. It takes time to build up to a certain place, but just start. Start by walking. It's free. Start by taking the stairs when you have the option. Something I mean, small. These are things that people constantly tell you. They constantly, constantly tell you, but just enact it. Like I, I, I get some of the restraint to it that people have, but at the same time, uh, you know, we talked about it previously where you see something and you're jealous of it on the social medias or whatever. They didn't just start there. Right. You know, these fitness influencers didn't just develop at puberty at 12, 13 years old and all of a sudden they're freaking chiseled everything. Now, granted, there are some kids that, you know, were a little bit more gifted and talented growing up, but that that transition after 18, 19, that's that's a lot on you. That's a lot on you. Discipline it, and hard work. It's discipline and hard work, man. So like some of those people, it's just just start. Just go for a walk. Like when I when I initially started my fitness journey, it, it was I forced myself to run. Uh, I think I started with like maybe a half mile at the first day, like dead. Just totally dead. <laughs> that was good for me. Did a couple push-ups, went home, you know, and it took me like two more days to get back in. Got back in, did the same half mile, still felt just as difficult. A couple more days. Now, um, last year, I ran a half half marathon Spartan. So I did uh, over 13, uh, yeah, over 13 miles on a Spartan race with over 35 obstacles. And I was invited to uh, com- uh, compete if I wanted to, but I was invited to participate in a ultra marathon Spartan. So you don't just start there, man. Like if you'd asked me five, six years ago, or, yeah, about five, six years ago, hey, you want to do an ultra Spartan race? And this was going to be up <laughs> in Montana where <laughs> elevation was supposed to get up to like 9,000 and not just like it wasn't like you were at 9,000 competing. It was up and down the mountain. So it's not, it wasn't just going to be a 32 mile race. It was going to be climbing a mountain back down to climbing back up again on top of 60 obstacles. So you, you don't just start there. If somebody had asked me that five, six years ago. I'd have been like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know about that one. I started with a half mile. That's all, that's all it takes is just getting out there and starting it, man. I mean, currently I spent about an hour to an hour and a half, I'd say in the gym and it varies it, it does there's days that i'm heavily focused on calisthenics and cardio because that's a big thing that helps me with uh the jujitsu and uh just in general being able to maintain my run time which in the air force as we know is you got to keep under a certain time uh for me i like to get that 100 percent on my pt every year so i do everything i can to make it but yeah, I, I typically I'll spend about an hour and a half. And like I said, I try to make it efficient. So it, it becomes a very long hour, hour and a half when I go and nobody's there. I'm able to use machines, use whatever I need to use. And nobody's in your way. Nobody, you don't have to ask somebody to jump in any of that stuff. And then a couple other days, um, I, I might do cardiovascular uh, type stuff and calisthenics maybe about three times a week. 
And then twice a week, I'll do some weight training. And then, like I said, I, I do jujitsu uh, about three times a week. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's just a matter of starting. You don't just, you're not, you can't just start into that. And I understand that. I'm aware of that. But work on getting to that initial point. Like, take those steps to get there. Excuses are like assholes. Everybody's got them, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got them. There's yeah. a million reasons why not. It takes one reason why to make a change. Like, So, yeah, I mean, a lot of... I mean, I'm sure other people listening can relate. We have this victim mentality. Mm -hmm. It's why me? Why me? Why did I give this person all my love and then for them to just break up with me? Mm -hmm. Why didn't I pass my promotion test? Why did I almost fail a PT test? For those of you listening, it's a physical training test that we have to take every year. Um, like, I'm sitting there playing video games and I'm just asking myself, why me, why me, why me? And Jordan Peterson, he's a psychology professor at a college. You can look him up on YouTube. He has really good um, sessions that he records. Absolutely love it. Yep. And... Something he said that I kind of resonate with, he said, if you sit in a quiet room, no music, nothing, just by yourself, and you think about something that you do that's preventing you from living your best life, and you really think hard about it, you will find it. For me, it was video games. For other people, it can be sitting on the couch, binge watching Netflix. It's there is something in your life that you can stop doing that will allow you the time to focus on your goals and ambitions. And like he said, you want to start slow. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen overnight. And I can attest to that because once I unplugged my video games after uh, my girlfriend and I broke up uh, the four weeks that was March of this year, we're in October. Mm -hmm. I gained 20 pounds of muscle. I can now run two miles nonstop. Mm -hmm. I go to the gym for a minimum of 30 minutes every day. I take one or two days a week to rest, sleep in that extra 30 minutes sometimes. I have read three full books and I do not complete books ever. Mm -hmm. Like once I start reading, I find another book that I want to start reading and I never finished the one I was reading previous. So that's a big accomplishment for me. Um, I recorded my first podcast episode with you. Yeah. Not, yeah. not too long ago. Um, I've passed and graduated leadership school, highest of my class. All that has happened within seven to eight months time frame. Mm -hmm. Like <clears throat> I look back and I do not recognize myself at all. Yeah. And it started with the decision to unplug. It started with the decision to study for one hour a day. It started with the decision 
of waking up at four and going to the gym for 30 minutes. And, and you know what it is? It's compound interest and investing in yourself. And I think the more you do it, the more confidence you build and you develop this new belief system. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm gonna say? No. I'm gonna circle it back. Ownership. It's uh, taking that ownership, uh, accepting it. This, I know we kind of transition here into fitness a little bit. And I do understand, I do respect the people that just have no interest in, in fitness. I hope all of you will take a little bit of just general fitness in your life. Go for walks, uh, meditate, yoga, any whatever it is. You know, I'm not saying to go out and be a gym junkie. I'm not saying to every one of you listening has some aspiration to be David Goggins fitness find, level find or, some for the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. But what I'm saying is that you can apply what we're talking about to any of that. Just take that ownership, unplug, un, un like you had said, because I listened to the same thing from Jordan Peterson and it struck me in a similar way. Sit at the end of your bed for like 15 minutes and just ask yourself, what am I doing right now that is not helping me? And whatever it is, you're going to discover a lot of things. When you, If you really talk to yourself and you ask yourself, what am I doing that's unhealthy? Or what am I doing that doesn't fit the narrative for who I'm trying to be? Just ask yourself that. And then you have your answers. You that's- know, Nobody's coming to you. Nobody's going to call you one day and say, hey, this is what you're doing wrong, X, Y, and Z. You might have some good mentors in your life. They might be able to give you an outside perspective. But the likelihood of someone coming in and walking every step for you and literally being there every single moment of the day, there's only one person that's going to do that. It's you. So take advantage of that. Ask yourself what's wrong. Ask what I can do to change or be better. And actually take the ownership over that. Except that you're the one creating majority of the faults in your life. It's not a bad boss. It's not any of that. And the reason I said circle back is because ownership is a part of leadership. So if you're taking ownership in your life over your actions and the things you're trying to do and accomplish, you're going to you're going to be on the right path to being a good leader, a sufficient leader and more than a sufficient leader. You're going to be on the right path to one of the first major traits of leadership. If I see someone that isn't just talk or isn't just like you said, where you just got that woe is me mentality and you just like, you just take no ownership. I'm not going to respect you the same way. I'm not going to want to be led by you. I'm not going to want to have you in my peer group. And again, not to say that it's just fitness driven, it's anything driven. If you come in here, this is another thing that I tell people constantly is similar to passions. If you want, like, I don't care what it is you want. If you want to be the best freaking janitor, not to knock janitors, but if you want to be the best janitor, the, the, a general, if you want to, whatever it is you want to be, that's fine that you told me that. That's great. That's I'm right there behind it. And I will support any one of you that ever contact me telling me that is what you want to do. But I don't want you just contact me and tell me what you want to do. I want to see that you're doing it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Be about it. Put ownership behind the things that are causing you to not do that. Own it and move forward and do the things that are going to help you accomplish it. 
Because as a leader, I'm looking at that and the people that are actually making those moves are, are the ones that I'm going to respect the most that I want to get behind that I trust with everything. That's why we click so well, because the entire five weeks that we were in a class together, that was you. It, you said that you had certain goals that you wanted to accomplish. One of them was getting a, a podcast off the ground and started by graduation. And here we are two episodes into that and we're there. You've talked to me about classes. You've talked to me about other things. You haven't just told me what your goals are. You've shown me that you're working on all of those goals. You are striving to actually bring them to fruition. So it's that ownership that you're taking. Of, uh, in this particular case, it's the ownership you're taking of what comes out of your mouth. You know, you're saying something and you're putting value behind it. So to me, you're a leader that I would follow. You're a leader that when you come to me, and even on a peer level, since we're same rank, which we can throw out the freaking window, you're still a leader to me because I, like, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen to you. When we're in a peer setting, working together, which we've had to do numerous times over this course alone, you're someone that I, I wholeheartedly trust. If I got to turn left and do my task, but the task on the right has to get done and you're the one over there doing it. I know that we're, we're accomplishing it. We were getting that mission done. I also know if you come to me with suggestions or you're trying to have an avenue to get something done, I'm standing behind you because I'm, I'm leave in you because you've taken that ownership over what you're trying to do. So yeah, that was just to circle it back. Cause I know we were on a topic of leadership. Do you think our relationship would have been the same had I been the video game player? Uh, no. No, if you want, if you want the honest truth, if if you came in here and said, "Hey, you know, I've been trying to start a part, podcast," and um, that's all we really talked about, and then you told me, "Oh, I want to get my associates or my bachelors," and then during this course, I saw you do nothing. If every night we're texting in the group chat, uh, we're working on projects, whatever we're doing, if I see that you're going home at sixteen hundred. And I ask you what you do the next day. And all you've told me is that uh, I played Call of Duty or Halo or something all night. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. If that to some degree, if that's your hour unwind time that you need and you implement it responsibly, I understand it. But if you tell me that's all you did and then that's that's it, I'm not going to trust you to lead me as much as I'm going to trust somebody else. But the fact that I saw you tell me your goals and I'm seeing you strive and make progress towards them makes me respect you more as a leader, as somebody who 100% is somebody that I want on my team. Somebody who's going home playing those video games. I know we keep saying video games again. I don't want to knock anybody out there. That's, that's playing just the video something games. that I, I relate to. Yeah, but if that's, that's your avenue, if you want to tell me you want to be the best freaking video game player ever. See, that's again, that's the context. And that goes back right into leadership qualities. Now, if you do come to me and tell me that you want to be the best video game player ever, I respect that. So there's a small dichotomy, I guess, in, inside of that. But if that's your goal, that's your goal. And if you're telling me that, then when you come in the next day, then I am going to try to adapt to that. And I'm going to try to be in the context of it and say, okay, well, what improvements did you make inside of that? If, you, if in the last five weeks, you tell me you got accepted to like three different tournaments, one of them's a again. I might sound ignorant to anybody that's out in that, that <laughs> gaming industry. Um, you tell me one of them's like a regional ranking tournament or something. 
Okay, phenomenal. What are you doing to improve on that? Like, how are you doing to improve on that? That's a context uh, that I would try to adapt to to be respectful of that. Right. The so again, momentum. To not knock anybody that plays the video games, that's how I could kind of put that in perspective. So if you're taking the ownership over it and you're just showing me that you're actively pursuing those goals and you're taking it because now if that's the case and you're somebody who's like that and you're like the opposite and you're not putting any work for it, then again, we're right back into where I'm not going to, I don't want to say not respect you, but I'm not going to look at you as the same kind of leader that like I'm looking at you, David, right now in front of me. So it, again, that's where context comes into play. And that's why I brought up context as one of those main qualities of an effective leader. Hmm, makes sense. I think for me, it was more of a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And that's why I had to unplug it. Um, it helped me drown out all my problems. And there's not a single person in this world, especially those of you listening, we all have problems yes. so, to some sort of degree, whether it be minor problems or super big problems, everyone has them. There's a saying where if we all together threw our problems out in the middle of the open into a giant pile and we were able to see all the problems that everyone else had, we would gladly take our problems back. Be like, oh, you're going through that? Yeah, let me... Uh, let me take mine back. So that that's it's that's another thing that I kind of look at uh, when it comes to problems, people's problems. We actually had a conversation on this while I was here too. Problems, you're right. Everybody has them, and I will not look at anyone in particular and say that their problems are lesser or greater than mine, because if you're someone who those are your problems, they are your problems. Um, I might have a particular. Something's happening. It's something I got to deal with. Uh, either a sick family member, you know, stressful work, and whatever the case is, that is extremely important to me. It's something that is weighing on me. It's daunting on me, and it's causing issues on me moving forward, or at least trying to structure myself better. So, for somebody else, they could be someone who, uh, again, not to sound like I'm knocking them, but they might be someone who's not familiar with that level of problems. If it's somebody who has like a lesser problem, if somebody tells me their cat died, to me, I've got enough going on that my, I mean, my cat dies. Yeah, I'm broken hearted, but I might be in a situation where, hey, I got a family member in the hospital or, you know, something extreme is happening. I'm not going to knock the person whose cat's died because to them, that person is having an issue. That is the most detrimental thing that's happening to them right now. So you can't knock them. You can't. Don't ever compare your problems to somebody else's problems. Everybody's problems are weighted equally inside of themselves. So my problems are equally as detrimental to my life right now as that person's problem is detrimental to them. And the same thing goes to somebody else. Because if you really want to get into a comparison and you break down the level of privilege that we have in the society, uh, at least here, there's things going on in this world that we don't have to deal with. So if my worst problem um, for the social media guys out there, if your worst problem is that you didn't hit a certain number of likes on a photo or you didn't, you know, maybe your car didn't start today or you got a flat tire or you didn't get that promotion. If that's your problem, if that that's really what it is, if we're going to go to compare problems, then just expand your perspective and look at the people in parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East that don't know when their next meal is coming. 
So again, I'm not going to knock your problems. And that's what it sounds like I'm doing right now. I'm all I'm trying to say is your problems are equally important to you as they are to the person over there. But what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to help people. If you come to me with your problem, your problem will be treated as at, at the level of importance that you presented to me. If you come to me and tell me you stubbed your toe and it's like, oh my God, the world is ending. Then let's figure out how to stop the world from ending for you and solve your problem. That's you, you taking ownership of their problem to help them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah. And like I said, I, I hate that I made a comparison like that of, uh, you know, other, other people having greater issues than us. I'm just wanted to put it in context that just don't compare. Just, just don't. Because if you really want to compare, majority of this world will lose that battle. And that's not a battle we want to even fight. Fight the battle of solving your problem and helping other people solve their problem with the same level of importance. Do what you can to solve your problems for those of you listening. And <clears throat> I mean, before the last 12 months from the growth that I've experienced, I was super introverted. I hated talking to people, hated it. Like I could not stand socializing. And my classmates can tell you that I can be quite talkative, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also a good listener. And if you don't have a giant peer group, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, you are not alone. There was a point in my life where I felt like I could not go to anyone. Mm-hmm. But I promise you there is someone out there willing to listen and who will help you. All you have to do is ask. You might not have all the answers and I don't expect any of you to have the answers. I didn't, but I allowed myself to say, okay, I don't know it all and I need help. Please help me. And if they are a good person, if they're authentic, if they're a good leader, they will help you. And you can get past it. And that's, growth and once you get past it that will make you a better leader because you'll know what it's like Mm -hmm. to be in their shoes because you've been there and growth fits right in with the adaptability bringing it all back into leadership if you want to be able to value your leadership abilities you need to be able to value pretty much everything you need to just morally and ethically just be conscious on your decisions everything has an effect in this world Thanks, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty deep stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, when it comes down to leadership and people, you know, materialistically and uh, I guess just kind of activity wise, there's not a whole lot that really drives my passion. I have a passion for the same way that I have a passion for leadership and people. And that's practically the same thing to me. So, to, yeah, to have the opportunity for you to not only have me on one episode, but ask me in return for a second episode and then come in here and be able to speak on that. And, you know, I may not be the smartest. I'm still in school. Just try to study this. And that by no means is going to make me any kind of expert until I can put uh, educational application with professional and just gaining that experience. You know, you can walk the walk, but I want to be able to talk the talk as well. So, yeah, just to be able to come in here and just kind of share my perspective on leadership, man, is, is just 
you know, I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm super happy that I got to meet you and, you know, lifelong friends we've made in this class. You know, I'm going to consistently stay in contact with you and all that kind of good stuff. So, I mean, I, I look forward to seeing where this goes and, you know, anytime you want, man, just uh, let me know and uh, I'll pop down from the base I'm at and uh, see if I can't come up here and come entertain some people again. I'm sure I'll be down there too. So, oh yeah, There'll for be more sure. Opportunities. Yeah. All right, I think that's the end of episode two. Thanks for listening again. This is the Morning Boys podcast, and make today great.